Hello, Joel here. I've got a new book out. It's called Be Funny or Die. How comedy works and why it matters. And it's about how comedy works and why it matters. Why human beings tell jokes and then what that tells us about being human beings. So if you're a human being and you enjoy laughing and then want to know what the hell's going on with that, it's probably a pretty good book to read. It's called Be Funny or Die. It's in shops. You can buy it. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Cheese and pickle. Hello, this is Comfort Blanket and I'm Joel Morris. I'm going to be talking to someone who makes cool stuff that I like about some warm stuff that they like. A book or a TV show or a film or a record that they go back to again and again for comfort. This time I'm talking to the comedian and artist Joe Neary. Joe's a familiar face and voice if you're a comedy fan. She's in things like Ideal and Man Down, Count Arthur Strong. Uh, you'd recognise her immediately from her eccentric characters that she does. She's extremely good at tiny, delicate pencil sketches in the kind of style of Joyce Grenfell. And she's also a brilliant artist. She draws all the time with a sort of manic energy. And she's a huge fan of Ronald Searle. And she said, can I come on and talk about Ronald Searle? Particularly the Molesworth books, particularly St Trinian's, and in particular, Back in the Jug Again. Enthusiastic hello. That's good because you've got a spike now to join up the things. Is that what you you're heard, doing? Heard me you're clap. very good. You're yes, very professional. I've done this before. Obviously, you yeah. understand the world. Well, of I know what you're doing, so I'm not out of my depth at all. This is good. Uh, Joe, thank, thank you for coming along. Uh, and we are going to talk about Ronald Searle. We're going to talk about Ronald Searle with particular reference you suggested. Can we do back in the jug again? <laughs> and obviously, with again spelt the right way A G A N E, which of course is the last of the Molesworth books. And that was going to be our way to talk about the work of Jeffrey Willans and Ronald Searle and the Molesworth books, and then via that to Ronald Searle's school books and drawings in general, because you are a huge fan. Yeah, I've always been a massive fan. I think probably from about the age of nine, probably got a book in the jumble sale. And uh, That's where it comes from, I think. Yeah. That's how it gets in. 1950s copies in the 1970s, yeah. 1980s. <laughs> yeah, I'm assuming children have died. That's what's happened. It's a really bleak yeah, story. Yeah, someone's died and you've got the book next. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> but God, they were so inspiring. And I think I basically ripped off the whole book for a school comic. Do you know really? I mean, that story about the Great Flood. Yeah, the Great Flood of St. Custard's. Just the description of the bust floating by. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, Jeffrey Willen's writing is fantastic in that. Picking those up, and I think I think back in the Jugger game was the first one I got, and it was a paperback. It might have been a 60s reissue that I found in a jumble sale. I remember picking it up, and then my dad going, oh, these are amazing. My dad knew them. Did your family know? I think them? it was well, the same it, for me. My dad said, yeah, read this, get this. Yeah. Sort of recommendation, a bit like sort of when they sit you down to watch, I don't know, Peter Cook or something, go, you'll like yeah. this. Yeah. Well, in those days, dad used to go, 
right, everyone, get into the front room. They're showing the Titfield Thunderbolt. We've missed the first 10 minutes, chill it down. Or whatever it was, Lady Killers. I mean, yeah, yeah they were on the telly then. And if you didn't watch them then, they, that was your last chance, wasn't it? And also, if you missed the first 10 minutes, you usually missed the titles, which were usually by Ronald Searle. Oh, and the beautiful music by George Orac. Very often, because I like drawing as a kid, the titles of those films were the reason I watched the rest of the film. Yes. And they'd and be beautiful drawings. Actually, do you think that the film of St. Trinian's lived up to the drawings? It just felt like they were they were a bit too sexy. They were never quite scruffy and gnarly enough. You know, yeah. The Ronald Searle drawings just set up such a brilliant thing that for me, the actual films, apart from... Alistair the, the Sim, big, yeah, Alistair Joyce Grenfell, George, George Cole, that's a lovely cast. Yeah, that, right, that's right. Yeah, because the children were actually a little bit disappointing in it. Girls, girls, you know perfectly well that pets are not allowed in dormitories. This school has practically reduced me to a nervous wreck. Adam boys run the children and go. People tend to think that something is defined entirely by one iteration of it. And I think that St. Trinian's is so much bigger than the films. It's a bigger world. And the drawings are what it is. Yes, I agree. Do you know that he based those drawings? You probably do know this, don't you? I shouldn't start anything with do you know. So we both know. <laughs> this is going to be one of those great podcasts where each one of us keeps going, do you know? And the other one goes, yes. But for the benefit of the class, share some facts. Those uh, incredible drawings that um, Ronald Searle did when he was a prisoner of war in Japan. And yeah. he did those drawings of the guards and the prisoners. And then he said he based his drawings of St. Trinian's on his experience in the prisoner of war camp. Which is kind of it's funny. brutal. And grim. But it's got, I think that's what's great about Ronald Searle's drawings around this. But he's doing stuff about school children, something supposed to be quite innocent and quite naive and had belonged to like, Enid Blyton, or maybe the Jennings stories, Billy Bunter. It's quite sanitised. And then he puts an injection into it of post-war grief and trauma. A bit like yeah. Milligan. There's, there's post-traumatic stress that's yeah. in a lot of 50s comedy. And he's got that in there. And it's suddenly, there's a cruelty that's in Charles Adams. And there's sort of the darkness. There's horror. Yeah. There's a lot of horror suddenly. There is like Hammer. Things like that. Suddenly that post-Dead of Night, Ealing are making horror films and things. That there's real horror. And it's a way of processing what happened in the war. Yes, Brutality. We all saw dead people or rubble. Yeah. And there was a lot of anger and danger and everywhere. I mean, the buildings yeah. are all jagged, dangerous things with spikes and, yeah. you know, coronets and rooms that no one's in and that are broken. And But we all wanted to go to that school, didn't we? It looked like the, so much fun. Yeah, if the darkness of it is really appealing. If you look at, I mean, there's a great fact about, oh, well, let's do the thing. You know this, but I'm going to tell it to you anyway. There's a great fact about Ronald Searle's war experiences is the first St. Trillian's cartoon he submitted was in 1941. And he sends it into a magazine. And obviously it takes a while to get published. And they sort of send him a couple of shillings and say, thank you very much. Did enjoy the cartoon of the schoolgirls? And it's just some schoolgirls in a classroom. And the caption is, due to the international situation, the match against St. Trillian's has been cancelled. It's a lovely cartoon. And the girls are just looking at the notice board. And that cartoon gets published in 1942. And Searle is out serving by that point. And he sees the magazine when he's out in the Far East and goes, oh, I've got one of my cartoons published. And then within weeks, he's in prison, bridge on the River Kwai. He's down to six stone. He's drawing the guards and the fellow prisoners in brown ink on, on scraps of paper and hiding them under the beds. In of, bamboo. Got, he smuggled them out, rolled up in bamboo, didn't he? Yeah, yeah he, and he, he was doing it to be a witness, to be a war artist. And he comes back with that. And then they go, can we have some more cartoons? And he goes, right. And the next one he draws is swathed in black shadow. And it looks completely different. And from that point on, St. Trinian's is a weird way of processing horror. 
Yeah. It's very odd. I'll, I'll just get your reaction. I will show you these two cartoons. Now, here's the sound of a book. Flip, flap, flip, flap, flip, flap. Anticipation, anticipation. There, the card, that's before and after his imprisonment. Wow, that's fantastic, isn't it? Yeah. And one yeah. of them's just a nice sort of satirical thing about... It's just uh, innocent, isn't it? In- disturbance. And, and I suppose those kids are not St. Trinian's kids. They are the kids who are about to play St. Trinian's. Maybe they're frightened of St. Trinian's. But it's a change. And he's, he's obviously carrying something across. And, and this is his... It becomes his signature thing. He's done St. Trinian's. That's what he becomes known for. Mm-hmm. When you say he was drawing over there to be a war artist, do you mean that he was in the war and he was an artist or that he was deliberately trying to document the war? Do you I know th- what I'm saying? Do I think know? it was his own, he wasn't He wasn't an official war artist as far as I know. I think he was doing because he thought, I'm in prison, people will forget. I need to write this down. It was like writing a, like a diary, like an Anne Frank kind of thing. Like, yeah, I want to, like a compulsion was, of a creative person that has to do yeah. that. The thing that kept me alive was the fact that I was able to draw and I wanted desperately to bring back a picture of what was happening as there were no photographs. And not for one moment did I think that I wouldn't be able to come back and show this to somebody to show exactly what did happen to my friends. One of his friends said, you've never seen creativity like it in the sense that you were in this place, which was just hell. And he was down to six stone. There was barely a human being left. And he was sitting there with a pencil and a piece of paper drawing. The compulsion was so strong. The only thing that was left of him was his urge to draw. And it was just awesome. This music is from the soundtrack of Bridge on the River Kwai, David Lean's film about the brutal treatment of British prisoners of war under the Japanese while building the Burma Railway, the experience that Ronald Searle actually went through. It's by Sir Malcolm Arnold, and Sir Malcolm Arnold wrote another soundtrack which I'm using in this podcast, The Bells of St Trinians. So strangely, the same composer did two very different suites for two very different films, both about the inner world of Ronald Searle. There's something interesting in the fact that his two most famous pieces of work are St. Trinian's and Molesworth for people, I know, like us who grew up with them. Because it's two schools. And the thing about a school is a school has a prospectus and a parents' evenings and shows that show what the school likes to think it's going to be. And there's a real sense in St. Trinian's and in St. Custard's in Molesworth that this is what school's actually like. <laughs> and it's all about, it doesn't matter what the propaganda films are showing you about war, the war artists will show you what it was really like. And he's kind of, there's reportage that I think you get as a kid, you go, yeah, I know what I'm meant to be looking like at the school parents' evening, but really, it's really like this. And it's, I, it's yeah. like a howl from, from within the prison. Yeah, I never thought of that. I think there's something very comforting about looking back on all of the stuff from our childhoods, the Ealing comedies and these, these lovely books as well. And that's, it just feels like life is quite simple. Like there's goodies and baddies. There's them and us in there, isn't there? And, and that's yeah. what I love about like Brief Encounter as well and Celia Johnson. There's just like, it just feels like everything's in its place. It all started on an ordinary day in the most ordinary place in the world, the refreshment room at Milford Junction. She goes yeah. into town with a basket. She does this on a Wednesday. There's a library book here. I was having a cup of tea and reading a book that I'd got that morning from Boots. There's that kind of like routine and structure and it feels like the characters are so solid, especially in Molesworth. 
with Fotherington Thomas. He's epitome of everything. That side of all of us that's a little bit wet and weedy, isn't yeah. it? as they would have called it, probably you can say that now, I don't know. I'm presuming you had a happy childhood as well, which is, is do you think that's why we were able to enjoy them so much? Because, I mean, I, I mean... All childhoods are happy in different ways, but you're, yeah. you cope. I think one of the things that I think about childhood is that it's you have no agency and no control yeah. and you find a way of coping, which might be through humour or jokes or, or finding, I think, in this, a voice that says when you feel trapped and you have no control, someone's been there before. Yeah. which I really liked about these books. Yeah. To say, no matter I was having a rotten time at school and being bullied and or the teachers were being mean to me, I'd go, oh, it, it happened way back in history. Yeah, that's true. And maybe the fact that your parents recommended it and you went, oh, so you went through the same thing as well. There's a sort of... Yeah. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think a happy childhood sometimes is to do with whether you found great ways to cope. Yeah, and drawing, there's a real hierarchy. Lying on, your, lying on your tummy with your tongue out, that stuff yeah. works. There's a real hierarchy, isn't there, as well with children. They let you know your place. You know, in school, you get to learn very quickly your place. Yes. I'm talking about you, but there were the two beautiful girls. And then there was the one weirdo <laughs> yeah. girl. And then there's the nerd, you know, three nerds. Yeah. I don't know, that like, cross paths, but didn't really want to be friends because they'd rather be friends with the cool girl or the interesting sporty girl. And then the bullies, good to be friends with them. And they didn't yeah. get you. I don't think I really gave Jeffrey Willens much credit for his books when I was young. I think I really you thought blamed sort of all the Joel Ronald Searle. We've learnt the scripts, haven't we? I often quote, we quote these little sayings to each other as well, but it's Ronald Searle. I, I call it Ronald Searle's in my head. It's bad, What's, really. There's that great line in Alice, where she's in Alice's one time. Once or twice she peeped into the book her sister was reading, but it had no pictures or conversations in it. And what is the use of a book, thought Alice? without pictures or conversation. And if you've grown up on children's picture books, then you maybe you've got into maybe Asterix and Tintin and comics and things. There's a Be No Bash Street Kids access point to these where you go, you will have read things like this. The fact they're full of drawings is the reason you read them. Mm -hmm. And I think it got forgotten for a while. And, it's, and that's why Quentin Blake is such a powerful part of Roald Dahl for that generation who got those Quentin Blake illustrations and why things like the Wimpy Kid books do really well and Dogman. Because they're full of little drawings or Mr. Gum. They're full of little drawings. And that's a way in. And I think as a kid, I, like you, I thought this was Ronald Searle who'd done it all yeah. because the first thing I did was flick to the pictures and look at those without realising that this was a, certainly Molesworth is an absolute symbiosis. It's two minds walking in lockstep, yeah. the same jokes. And when it's that well knitted together, it's kind of, they make it look so easy. And the, the thing about all the illustrators you've just listed is they all look like you could do that. Yeah. And actually, that is how I learned to draw, copying Ronald Searle's drawings. They look achievable, don't they? Well, they kind of are achievable. Because you know how Quentin Blake draws very quickly with a light yeah. box and a picture underneath, and he draws very fast on the top of it to give it a lot of life. Not right. all of his drawings, but he does do that part. So the structure, so the pencil structure, so he knows where the, the composition roughly is. Yeah. And there's enormous the speed. speed in the line. One of the yeah. best things I learned at art school was the uh, the speed at which you draw a line gives it the energy wow. and it changes it. And I think actually drawing Ronald Searle really carefully and kind of following the lines, and you can kind of tell what he drew first with a lot of the simpler drawings. Yeah. Um, they are sort of achievable. And that's, I mean, it's a really great way to learn anything is by copying. Andy Partridge said a lovely thing about copying. He said, you should copy your heroes until you're better than them. I mean, yeah. You know. I always had the phrase going, at some point you will write, I saw her standing there. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you keep, you'll, keep, with you. you'll keep doing Chuck Berry covers and one day one of your songs will be better than that. And it, yeah. it's completely true. This is, what's great about this, you think about the other illustrations that certainly were around when we were little kids. The things that encouraged you to draw were the ones you went, I could probably do that. I never thought I could draw like a ladybird book. I never thought I could draw like the eagle or even actually, weirdly, 2000 AD I loved. But the reason I loved 2000 AD, it was in black and white. So I could copy it. Whereas the Marvel ones are all in colour. They look quite detailed and complicated. 
Whereas the fact that you could do it with a biro. Yeah. And then I remember my... my and there was rhubarb and custard and also Snoopy. Yeah. They just look so effortless. It's and then when you try and draw them, if you try and Charlie... If you try and create your own the blooming Charlie, it's not, it's not Have possible. Have you tried drawing Charlie Brown? He's impossible. Mm. Again, it's, the, it's someone's arm. It's an yeah. extension of someone's arm. If you've not got that same arm, you can't You do don't it. have a heart in it, yeah. I, yeah, I've copied Sir uh, a lot and I get it wrong because it looks like me drawing it. Oh, that's good. Because it's it's organic. It's an extension of his arm, clearly. He does make it look easy, though. I mean, that doodly does of the botanical um, leaves in his book, with, and he turns them into birds. Just uh, It's just not as that easy. You cannot get a leaf and put a face on it that much character. One of the things that's really nice about Molesworth is, is there's a lot in it about children drawing. They're always drawing on the desk and carving their names on the desk. And there's there's a beautiful little bit which is just what's on Molesworth's desk. And it's the same thing that was always on a table at school. Railway lines, skeletons. And there's I was remembering this this morning. Have you ever read David Copperfield? David Copperfield's oh. best mate at school is a kid called Tommy Traddles, who becomes his best man when he gets married. And Tommy Traddles, in David Copperfield, draws skeletons all over the desk. The most Molesworth thing That's possible. so lovely. There's a total continuity. Of kids are always the same. Yeah, that, it's a lovely thing, isn't it? When you're writing something for your, you know, new, writing your yeah. own stuff. I think, always think it's really lovely if you don't Google it. Like if it's just in the, you know, in the ether, like what's the biscuit I'm going to reference? It's going to be a Lincoln. I'm not going to yeah. research what biscuits there are. Lincoln sprung to mind. It's probably going to spring into everyone else's mind. It's like, yeah, I love that kind of that it's common organic. denominator. Yeah. And it, it seems to be. And it gives of... it colour, which is hard these days, isn't it? With technology Can to have that colour. We don't have a communal TV programme that we're all watching at yeah. seven o'clock on a Thursday night like we had some of the pops. Your references, <laughs> you, you can be too arch about your references and you want to do, as a writer, trying to get references and when you're writing for someone else I used to describe the first week of writing for someone else as all their stuff's on a very high shelf and I have to get all their references down and put them on the desk and then I can reach them so if I'm writing for a stand-up or a, a character I, suddenly all the stuff's there and when you write for yourself all the stuff you want's on the desk already mm-hmm. is within arm's reach <laughs> and you don't have to get up on the kickstool and get to the top shelf and get someone else's no, references down. you've got your top 10 favourite all-time funny well, which you? words you find funny Pifco foot spa yeah obviously they're all there <laughs> they're all available to you <laughs> Some nice one on soil drawings in a charity shop. I thought I'd show what? you. Give a little photo on social media, can't we? Are these from charity these shop? Are, um, yeah, these are um, P&O um, ferry menus. What? Um, printed in 1976 by Ronald Searle. Well, Ronald Searle's drawings. Like, and it's a menu for um, an Edwardian night dinner. <laughs> wow. <laughs> it's really sweet. And That's chef, so beautiful. Denny Rogers has got his credit at the oh, bottom. Oh, Denny. Yeah, but it's a, it's, a, it's a lady who's uh, abundant on the front. Yes, it's Little Buttercup from HMS Pinafore. Oh, it's beautiful. It's gorgeous, isn't she? And there's a, this is a charity the Pirate shop. King menus on P&O ferries. What a sweet commission that was. <laughs> I think that, that also nails this stuff to a, a really good tradition of character work. That These do feel like the casts of sort of like Victorian opera or something. It's so vivid. The schools are so populated with these characters. And yet, one of the things that's odd about Molesworth and St. Trinian's and why maybe the films don't feel the same. There's no story. It's not like liking the famous five where there are a series of stories they go on. It's just images. Mm-hmm. It's snapshots. What people don't remember is that uh, there were so few drawings. It, it, it uh, really was only a small part of my work. It was, it, it was by accident a series. In the four or five years, and it was only four or five years that they, uh, they ran, there were no more than about 60 drawings, probably. And the writing's the same. There, there are a couple of moments, like The Great Flood, or the, there's a really nice one in Back in the Jugger Game where Malthus decides to be good. 
And that's like a sitcom where he's trying to be good because he's read in an old Victorian novel that you might inherit someone's house if you're good. <laughs> so he tries to be good. He becomes Fotherington Thomas. And that's that's a sitcom, but that's right at the end of Jeffrey Willen's writing. The rest of it all, he is doing what Ronald Searle's doing. He's doing little sketches. And the writing is little drawings as well. Oh, yeah, I hadn't thought of that. They're it's sort like of the same. Show, isn't it? Yeah, a little long form and then like almost like little one-page cartoons of you know the master's yeah. different expressions and the different types of master that you get. Because they're, they're sort of formatted a bit like, if people haven't seen them before, and they were presented as such and sold as, a guidebook, like a classic Christmas toilet book. It is almost like a prospectus that's been graffitied, yes, isn't it? It is. Oh, I God. really would have liked to have gone to one of those schools, but you know, I didn't think, I don't think I could have thought that hard about it, because I'm sure getting hit in the eye with a, with a piece of paper that had been dipped in ink regularly probably wouldn't have been very funny, would it? So you didn't go to this sort of school, but you recognised it? No, I went to a comprehensive in Cornwall. I think that when we were young, this world wasn't that far. So I grew up in the 70s and 80s and then college in the 90s. And the Ealing comedies, which I somehow put together with these, probably because of the films being a similar era, weren't they? And the, and the title 40s, sequences 50s and the posters. Yeah, that's true. It does yeah, feel because like also world. Ronald Searle also, didn't he also illustrate um, Lavender Hill Mob? I'm sure that's illustrated by Ronald Searle. Plotting their way with icy calm to riches far beyond the wildest dreams of ordinary men. Yours is encoded. Yes, it's a present from market. It fires a stick of rock. There's lots of that. And also it links in with people like Roland Emmett, who are drawing lots of little trains, the Tipfield Thunderbolt oh, stuff. Yeah, that's him, and, yeah. and also this is pure around the Festival of Britain. Oh, I think some Trinians yeah. were painted on the walls of the school's pavilion. Yeah. The Festival of Britain. It's that world. But all when you watch an old Ealing comedy, like, for example, Passport to Pimlico, and the kids are playing in an old bomb hole, aren't they? Yeah. Sort of running around. Yes. It wasn't that different to Cornwall in the 70s <laughs> and 80s. There was hardly any cars on the road. There wasn't any supermarkets yet. You know, we were just like local kids running about. There were no phones and stuff. You'd go out all day long. Yeah. You know, we used to go begging for something to do. <laughs> um, my friend said the reason why those eating comedies kind of feel like they're our childhood is because that wasn't that different, the 40s, yeah. 50s and the 70s. It wasn't until supermarkets came along. That's when things changed because then we were driving out of town. Those little corner shops weren't the centre of yeah. the world. And they were also, we were talking about how the people used to shop in the 50s and 60s yeah. or, or before the war. And my friend said, how did people used to shop when shops shut at five? And his mum said, well, they didn't shop at five. That was until the war. They started shutting oh. at five because of the blackout. She said, before that, they used to stay up open until 11 o'clock at night. I didn't know that. And she said, they'd be in their back room. So the shop would be an extension of your house. And I vaguely remember, and I don't know if it's from a film or my own childhood, going into a corner shop and there being a, one of those, you know, plastic stripped plastic, curtains. Yeah, someone watching TV and coming through to serve you. And I don't know yeah. if that's from watching TV or actually if that happened. I'm not sure. Certainly, I know there's a couple of pubs near me that my granddad used to drink in. And back in his day, they weren't pubs. They were just off licenses, which meant you went and knocked on someone's window and they handed beer out to you. And that was the local pub was someone's house. It was a public house. And that's within my, yeah, my granddad's living memory. The idea of maybe post the 80s, there's abundance. Britain is full of abundance. There's too much stuff in the shops. I get a bit panicky when there's too much stuff in the shops. I quite like shortages. I quite like them running out of stuff. Feels it's more healthy. A, it's a bit weird, isn't it, having your life full of chock-a-block stuff? It's like, yeah. I don't think there's room to move. No, it's, it's it feels, but that abundance feels very new. And I suppose what was in common with a, a 70s, 80s childhood and a sort of 40s, 50s, 60s childhood is that sense of there being limited things to do. Things are still shut on a Sunday. You're right. Those Britons are very similar. You can recognise them when you watch 60s sitcoms and 50s films. Yeah, it doesn't feel like, oh, look at the olden days, does it? It just doesn't somehow. And also, a lot of those rooms, like think about um, Lady Killers, the, you know, the title sequence. Yeah wallpaper in the rooms and stuff. Brighton flats were like that in the 90s. 
Yeah. Like they didn't get decorated. You know, they were cheap as chips and they had really old fashioned furniture and candlewick bedspreads. And, you know. That's that thing that, that lots of historians say is that you, people, when they make historical dramas, forget people keep furniture for 40 yeah. years. Yeah. And it's a strange thing. You go, well, poor people can't afford new furniture and rich people pass their furniture on. So it's a tiny slice of the aspirant middle class who have new stuff. Yeah, that's right. All the it, rich people keep their stuff going forever, don't they? Yeah. It's it's like, that thing that if you're common, if, you, if you've ever bought furniture, you're supposed to just inherit it. Uh-huh. It's incredibly common to buy furniture. <laughs> But I think you're right. There's a feeling about these worlds that are in here. It's completely accessible to you. I recognised that maybe I recognised the dynamic of them and the feel of them more than the detail. Because I didn't go to one of these sort of schools. I certainly wasn't they, a boarding a pri- school. Are these private schools? Well, they're boarding schools, aren't they? I mean, yeah. they're based at St Trinian's brilliantly. I didn't realise this was based on a school in Edinburgh uh, that closed at the end of the Second World War called St Trinian's, spelt slightly differently, which meant that in the 50s, that relentless uh, newspaper articles tried to find old girls of St Trinian's. What was it like? And the answer was, he just based on it. But it's based, St Trinian's is based on, or the name is based on that, and the building, which is all gothic, and is, uh, I think you can still see it in Edinburgh. Quick fact dump. The original St Trinian's, the two N's in the middle, and E-A-N, was an academy for young ladies in Dalkeith Road in Edinburgh. It was a sort of liberal place that let the kids run wild a bit, hence St Trinian's. And it now is part of the University of Edinburgh. It's Leonard's Hall in the Pollock Halls of Residence. If you look it up online, you can see it looks a bit like St Trinian's. But the actual school was based on somewhere nearer to where Sale live, which was the Perth School in Cambridge, which was the girls' school there, which my friend Jo went to. Oh. Uh, she's a fellow Molesworth fan, so she'll be delighted. I don't know, Jo, if you listen to this, your school was St Trinian's. I only found <laughs> that out for this podcast. They are boarding schools and they are the kind of places that would have very, very swanky prospectuses. And you're right, when you open up the complete Molesworth, what I've got here, the first Molesworth book is Down With School. And the first page of Down With School, when you open it up, is OK Come In, a lovely Russell picture of the gorilla of 3B, Nigel Molesworth. <laughs> and then St. Custard's by the Camera Club, which is Searle drawings of the various I mean, bits of St. Custard's. That is genius to do, a, to do a photograph tipped. I mean, that's just Yeah, genius. the, 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 f- the first picture you see is about yeah. a 45 that degree angle. No, you'd take another 20 pictures till you got it right. Yeah. Or and you'd it- blooming <laughs> have the straighten option on your camera, wouldn't you? So, so yeah, and the, it's that what I used to call total comedy. Like there's a joke everywhere. So it's at the wrong angle and then the portrait of his great friend Peasen is upside down. <laughs> Top of grabber's head's chopped off. Yeah, it's loads of jokes about bad photographs, but it is literally a look around the school is the first thing you see. And at that point, you're introduced to all the characters. It's like the titles of a sitcom. So yeah. you see Skipping Fotherington Thomas the awful Molesworth too, his but brother. Also having this ink blot on the page, like you yeah. can you can kind of Molesworth up any page, can't you? With just a yeah. one of them. That's he's kind of that's and, him. That's... And again, those are there's lots of that in Winnie the Pooh. Shepherd does the splotchy when they're signing the card. Oh, uh, course, they do blot yeah. and smudge, which I, I think was one of the funniest jokes I'd ever seen when I was about six. Was that Rue and, and Tigger sign themselves blot and smudge, and oh. it's just a splotch of ink, and it's. It feels achievable. If you're going to do a comic at school, you draw it like that. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's the complete inspiration. Beautiful. It, there's, a, there's an access to it. You think you could draw like that. And then you try, and it takes ages. I don't know much about Ronald Searle's kind of, you know, training or anything like that, art school, or if he kind of did serious portraits of royal paintings before he got into his drawing. I don't really know much about his life, but I do know that when he died... Did he die in France? I'm not sure. I yeah, he ended up living in France with his second wife. Yeah, he left a book of how his pens looked. Wow. Of, of all the different marks. It's like a catalogue of what marks his pen would make. Because with pen and ink dip pens, they're different every time. And so I, I copied him. I did the same thing. It's quite a fun exercise. You kind of, uh, yeah, do a little line, show what the pen does, write, write down which pen it is, what nib it is wow. and everything. And, so you've got uh, a catalogue to choose from when you want to different sketchbooks so you can go effects. through it and get the right nib. That's amazing. It makes it look quite accidental, but a lovely thing to see. 
Just like a Molesworth book, we'll take a little break in the prose, drop in an illustration. Here's Quentin Blake talking about his obsession with the line work of Ronald Searle. There, there were people on Punch that influenced me. One, Ronald Searle was a sort of role model, if you like, and I was taken to see him when I was 20, just before when I joined the army. But he, he, he did wonderful caricatures, he did very funny drawings, he did satirical drawings. And I remember actually on that occasion when I went to see him, there was a lot of discussion kind of initiated by the people who had taken me there from the BBC about the philosophy of drawing and things of that kind. Actually, what I wanted to ask him was what kind of pen nibs he used. <laughs> but I was, I was frustrated that I didn't get to talk about it. Are you still penning? Do you not use the lovely thing? Whenever you see Joe, you arrive and you unpack a bag, and it's just a huge pile of notebooks, pens, sketchbooks, and you're just surrounded like it just naturally accrues around you, like leaves around a tree. We were just talking, <laughs> weren't we, about having too much stuff? And look, I got—I've literally got three pencil cases here, and I've got <laughs> definitely got more than four notebooks in my bag. It's but it's because of the great paper and pen shortage when I was a kid. Didn't have anything to draw on. Oh, abundance yeah, again! It's excitement it's about abundance. Lack of. So now I'm like this weird magpie with paper, and I can't did, throw it away. Did your parents have access to paper? Um, well, he uh, did. He was a teacher. I don't know why he didn't nick me well, some. Where's your paper? I got out of the bin. My dad worked in magazines and newspapers, so we had piles of paper. And the other kids at school only had that green stripey paper. Their dads, who were accountants and things, brought home from the office the green stripey computer printout paper. So my drawings always look better. And I always say, I can only draw because my dad brought blank paper home. Lucky duck. One day, he brought me the end of a roll of magazine stock, the glossy stuff, which obviously... You couldn't draw on that without any... Well, yeah, you got some marker pens. It was quite exciting, though. But it was it was what they threw away at the end of a magazine. And it was about eight tonnes of paper because a magazine run is those big rolls. Anyway. Oh, my God, I definitely would have made friends with you. Oh, God, you could make badges <laughs> with it. I made a whole comic with it. It was glossy. Like, a lot of TV times, it was amazing. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, that obsession with paper and paper stock. So you are definitely a physical. You're dip pens and you like all that stuff, the, the, yeah. not computers. And- no, I, it's weird. But I find computers quite um, bizarrely beautiful. Like, remember when when we first got word processors? Sort of in, <laughs> it's sometime in the nineties, and you type your first words, and they appear on the screen whenever it was. Yeah, I, yeah. Actually, I did computing in nineteen eighty eight, so I saw it before then. It was just a little. It's like glowing. It's lit from behind. Everything you write is kind of illuminated and a bit special. You can write loads of shit, and it yeah. looks, just looks great. Yeah. So I was a little. I'm a little bit enamoured with screens, and I find you can just write endless dirge with a computer screen, and it's the same with drawing. You, you can keep correcting and correcting and correcting and it just gets so, it's it's really hard to keep that spontaneity thing. I mean, he does that incredibly, doesn't he? He gets that balance between exactly capturing what he wants to say and do. What an incredible illustrator and makes it look like it's the first thing he, he knocked yeah. out. You know? It's totally intentional. I think there was a, there's a link in my head between all these illustrators who made it look like you could do it. They were achievable. They look like the world's best child's drawings. They've got a childishness to them. So that would be people like David McKee, Obviously, Ronald Searle and, uh, and yeah, Gerald Scarf with his Gerald big Scarf. flicked. The launches. mess of the and again, Quentin Blake, those people, Tony Ross, people who drew and it was messy. Mm. And you went, oh, good. So if I make a mistake, if I put my thumb on it, which is always the problem. My, my brother was left-handed and was always smudging stuff and felt like, oh, I mustn't do anything. So he got very careful. I went, no, look at these people. Look at the splotches and messes. <laughs> that shows a human being was there. The Japanese smashed his right hand, but I'm sticking a pickaxe in his back. And seeing that he got beriberi and dysentery and Dong syndrome and all these things, he smashed his right hand. Of course, he was left-handed. Yeah, I mean, there probably is a way that you would put it into Photoshop and move things about on an actual. I did that eventually. Drawing. Yeah, well, I don't know how to do that. I'd like to be able to do that. It'd be really useful, wouldn't it? Be handy. But then, then there's an organic thing to your drawings. Whenever I see them scanned in, you can see the the, the debt they pay to the people you admired growing up. But also, you're using the same techniques, which is 
there's a craftsmanship to it that I think is really beautiful. Oh, thank you very much, Jill. I um, I got really into colour over the last few years because I always drew black and white pen and ink. I've got thousands of sketchbooks of that. And then I thought, I've never really colour you know, have any colour. So I've been trying to, but I get a bit excited by the amount of colours there are. I've got so many lovely pencils and crayons <laughs> and rubber and stuff that, um, yeah, it just tends to be a bit of an explosion of colour. But uh, yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, the more you do anything, you know, the better you get, isn't it? I mean, that's um, very true. Th- these, yeah. Yeah. These are my, this is my latest sketchbook. But yeah, I mean, look, I mean, every colour is on the page. It doesn't really work. That doesn't work. That's a failed drawing. But uh... <laughs> Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready get 30, ready get 20, 20, 20, ready get 20, 20, ready get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Another thing that's great about these, these are art books. They've got art in them and they are for kids because they are black and white, scratchy little paperbacks. Mm-hmm. And we're saying that about uh, newspaper comic strips like Peanuts and things. You go and see them on the wall in an art gallery. Yeah, it's good. But they're meant to be in the back of a newspaper. They're meant to be something you can pick up in a jumble sale for 10p. You're meant to own them. And I remember owning these books because they were black and white because they weren't colour. They weren't expensive art books. Mm-hmm. That accessibility, the fact that they had been done, again, been done with a biro. Yeah, you just reminded me actually of something I loved when I was a little bit few years older after I discovered Ronald Searle, and that was the Giles books. Oh, yeah. Lord, alive. My dad had an antique shop and he got all of them in a box and I just read them all. It was like a two-meter pile of all the Giles books. I mean, God, they were that, that grandma, they just had such character, didn't they? Well, it was character and detail. What these are as well, because they, they, they're not stories and they're snapshots, they are amazing social documents mm-hmm. of the time they were written which I found fascinating because it was like when I grew up, but different. So mm-hmm. I was interested in it. In the same ways, I was aware the Famous Five didn't happen when I was a kid. It was a bit too old-fashioned, but it wasn't a barrier. These are a portrait of the 50s, like Giles is. They're a portrait of how people lived. Mm-hmm. The feel of the Molesworth books, because they're not stories, they're illustrations. The writing is an illustration, and the illustrations are an illustration. They capture characters, types, concerns, changing politics, changing gender politics. The stuff towards the end of Back in the Jug again, where co-education comes in, there's all this stuff about girls, what girls are like. And you go, oh, this is a changing country. Down at Rutherfield Secondary Modern School near Henley-on-Thames, it's education with a difference. For pupils in their last year, the roles are reversed. The girls learn something of those jobs that usually fall to future husbands. The girls are doing fine, but what about the boys? It's going to be a beautiful cake. And with a little correction... He's got the makings of a perfect husband. Television arrives. They're all singing Davy Crockett all the time. Davy, Davy Crockett, king of the wild frontier. 
They're all staying up all night. Dad's staying up all night to watch the quiz show so the kids aren't going to bed till 11 o'clock. It's all new. Thank you, friends. Bless you all. Thank you very much indeed. And welcome to our very first show on television of W Money. This Elizabethan world they're just depicting. And Giles had that as well. You'd read it and go, there'd be a little thing in the corner and say, this is from 1965. And you go, oh, that's what it was like. <laughs> I recently, because I got into drawing over the last few years, I mean, I've always drawn. I went to art college when I was young. I went to Falmouth Art School. It was art school then. And uh, and the tutors really drummed into us that sketchbooks were really important. You had to keep a sketchbook. Yeah. And because I'm scared of authority, I never stopped. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> when do you have last... to hand these in? <laughs> Where's <laughs> the final touch yet? <laughs> but I've, I've got a big pile. <laughs> <laughs> but what I've realised about drawing and comedy and writing, like the thing that's the same thing, is you're you're trying to catch hold of something and you're kind of cutting away the chafe and honing in on something. And when you do a picture, you're deciding, am I showing perspective? Am I showing character? Am I showing mood? Am I showing atmosphere? Am I, you know, am I capturing like a photographic yeah. realistic picture of what that is or what is it I'm trying to do? And I, there are parallels with it. It's interesting to me. I find yeah, the creativity process interesting. But I think, I think what these teach you as well is, when I was a kid, there were so many artists I admired because they were perfect. When they drew a thing, it looked exactly like a thing photorealistic stuff, all that kind of, almost album cover art thing. Really went, again, Ladybird books. It was all very, very representational, very realistic. I'm realising that I'm being very dismissive. There are fewer decisions made when you're doing photorealism. Your decision is to do it as accurately as possible to an artistically interesting level. Whereas any decision you make on a cartoon or a, a, something where you flatten perspective, those are all decisions. There are hundreds yeah. of decisions in whether the Centurion's girl's got a nose or not. Yeah, whether there's something in the background, whether he's putting her in an environment or not. I mean, a lot of his drawings are one person floating in space, aren't they? But then there's those other books he did, those incredible books. There's, um, there's those lovely books that are all about drinking wine. Yes. Have you seen those? Yes. And they're really, really rich and uh, in-depth. I mean, when I say about copying his drawings, I'm talking about copying one figure, yeah, standing yeah. isolated, not doing all of that beautiful, that, oh, that's gorgeous. What's he used there? <laughs> If, if you if you look at these as well, and if you if you ever tried to do this, and I did this a couple of times, and as a kid you might have done it. I used to do. I used to copy things and blow them up and make them into posters or do them on the wall, paint them on the wall or whatever. When we'd moved to a new house, my mum would come upstairs very often and find I'd done a mural whilst she was unpacking the boxes downstairs. <laughs> and you, as soon as you do that and you try and copy one of these drawings, you suddenly realise that you you're quite happy drawing the little kid down the bottom, but it takes ages to draw the door, and there's eleven things on top of the door, and then there's a globe and some books, and every one of these things has been put in a place for a decision. There's, there's deliberate intent in it. Yeah. And yeah, if you're not a drawer, you won't know. It takes ages to draw. Oh, no, I know. Just looking at this one, I just opened up on this page here, which is um, a drawing that is done of a beautiful Italian-looking, maybe Gothic building. It, but that drawing is really like a kind of John Piper, you know, the Coventry yeah. Cathedral, drawing churches and cathedrals. It's, it's almost like a sketched-over photograph, except that the lines are slightly curving, like the building's imposing over these, making these figures look even smaller, isn't it? You know, but he, yeah. but he, he clearly could do that yeah. photo stuff if he wanted to. <laughs> yeah, there's no level on which it's not masterful draftsmanship. And what you're admiring is, with, with anything where there's exaggeration or distortion, the exaggeration and distortion is a decision. And you'll notice as someone who draws, if you make that distortion wrong, it's not appealing. Then you get more and more impressed by the distortion that the cartoonist or the illustrator has done that is appealing. Why is it so good that these girls, the Centurion's girls, feet are like little tiny pointy ballet shoes? Yeah, well, it's got, it gives them movement, doesn't it? That's kind of her legs flailing in the air in that particular picture. That's a very yeah, Quentin Blake. Your is, legs coming to a point. Oh, right? it is, yeah. isn't it? I think that's the perfect place to drop in an illustration. So here's cartoonist Martin Rosen talking about Ronald Searle's feet. In Searle's case, legs and feet are almost windows to the soul. 
whether it's the kind of spindly spider's legs coming out of the, the top-heavy bulk of the St. Trinian's girls, or later on these enormous thick tree trunk-like elephant legs, uh, which always end in these beautiful shoes, or beautiful feet, which again have that angle at about 37 degrees, which is a sort of benchmark of, of Searle's style. And these shoes clump all the way through his career, uh, and they're strangely magnificent, but also nobody else could do them quite like Ronald Searle. I read a really lovely thing um, when I was getting back into my drawing thing. I'm going to shut that because it's not holding up to his drawings. Um, never and it was never about... open your sketchbooks near a pile of Ronald Searle. It, it, it makes um, you feel sad. Yep. Um, now, what was it? Oh, yes. Now, it said that um, if you do a picture and you feel like it's a failure, yeah. put it in a drawer and leave it. Because sometimes when you go back, it's the bit that seemed to go wrong that's the best bit. Wow. It's a nice idea, isn't it? If you're trying to keep it right, you're trying to keep it on rails, you draw badly. Yeah, that's it. You get so stiff and uptight. Maybe it's quite nice to kind of derail and see what comes out that way. Yeah, it's interesting. Well, you must have found that because you're, I mean, you're good at this. You're, and I find that whenever, I used to think because I knew all these artists that I'd go in my portfolio would be full of people. It would be, be great. Everyone would love it because it would look just like Ronald Searle. And when you try <laughs> and draw with that freedom, you realise that every mark is deliberate and that every decision he's made looks like it's going all over the place, but is the right one. To represent what he's... Re- a perfectly simple thing. We've got a cover of The Complete Molesworth and the cover of The Terror of St. Trinians, which is the Penguin uh, compilation they did. And the girls are such a different shape than the boys. Mm. The boys are... That classic thing where boys take a while to spurt, but the girls are gangly and long. And Molesworth, the gorilla of 3B, is this squat little unit. <laughs> and they've got different weights to them, and you feel differently about them. Yes, um, yeah. If one of them bowled at you down a corridor, you'd... Get out of the way of them differently. <laughs> they've made these decisions. Oh, it's so clever. It found an immediate reaction because it was perhaps the first time in uh, the history of cartooning that someone had simply stated that children could be cruel, uh, disgusting, uh, inconceivably uh, un. 19th century childlike. So you sent me a lovely thing today, Joel, which is that there's a film coming out, is there? Yeah, they've got distribution. They've been saying they want to do one for ages, a a cartoon film of it, and uh, that would be lovely. And I think the animators are really good. It seems to be, they seem to have got the drawings right. The characters are great. And also, you can't get it, you can't get it wrong, because there's no stories in these. You're not adapting the stories. You're just taking St. Custard's, you're taking the building. Making the pictures move. The situation, saying it's a school story with a a good script. It could really fly, because the characters are so bold and clear and the world building's brilliant there's no coincidence that jk rowling was a fan because there's so much of the, the the fancy of going to like a sort of strange sealed place miles away where the rules are all suspended and all the kids are in danger about this i think i saw there's the name scrimgur turns up in this and you think he goes to see a play called the tale of hogwart oh, there's lots right. of little nods and you go oh these are just classic school stories and what appeals to little kids still about going to a fantasy world of magical boarding school. This is the horrible version of that. (laughs) (laughs) Just opened up on this page here. Look, Miss Merriweather, the spirit of the carnival. And it's this little, um, short little girl with a very evil expression of flowers in her hair. And it's reminded me of um, Joyce Grenville's um, Stately as a Galleon song. That beautiful song about having to dance with another woman. Stately as a Galleon, Galleon, sailing across the floor. floor, Doing the military two steps in in the the days days of your... I dance with Miss... It's the same world, isn't it? It's so joyful and fun and poking fun. And I've not even thought about it because you. I mean, it's funny because we're we're sort of similar generation. 
But I find this generation's comedy incredibly comforting. Sellers and Milligan, I find this very comforting. I find it's like the Bolting Brothers as well, isn't it? I'm the films, Jack, yeah, yeah, I find the films really comforting. I find, and I find Joyce Grenfell was enormously kind of a huge thing for me growing up. I love that. Still, there was so much innocence, wasn't there? I mean, look at Ian Carmichael in um, I'm Alright Jack when he's got, got that lovely blonde woman that's kind of <laughs> rubbing her hands all over his head and he's all embarrassed. Asking you something? Of course not. Cross your heart. Cross my heart. And then your own teeth. And Irene Handel saying, you know, being on strike in the, that beautiful little front room they've got, which is still my idea of a perfect home. Have another cup of tea, Mr Windrush. Uh, no, I won't. Thank no? you very much now. Perhaps you'd care to imbibe. Mother, where's that Australian burgundy we had? Is it that? There are rules to be broken, as in there is a, a Britain is, the, the world of Molesworth and the world of St. Trillians, definitely, and the world of Ealing and things is, there's a, an image being projected. We just won the war, and we're the, the Festival of Britain. Britain's bright and open for business. The Festival of Britain is here. People are welcome from everywhere. The Festival of Britain Back in the jungle game and Wiz for Atom, the last two Molesworth books about atomic Britain, the white heat of technology, that the, the Molesworth peas and electronic brain has been developed that will solve all exam questions. This idea that there's a, a public face of Britain that's really slick and is a mixture of empire, dan dare, innovation, mm-hmm. and behind it, is filth and violence and cruelty and people being a bit shit. And you said Brief Encounter, which you love. That's about people hiding things. That that, that incredibly brittle exterior, yes. that's not true. It's there, so you find it sort of comforting. But all this stuff is digging underneath it to find stuff. All those Ealing films are about crime. They're about criminals. Yeah, but what's so lovely as well about what you're describing is it's so easy to subvert it. So in I'm yeah. Right Jack, for example, which is now in my head, at the beginning when Ian Carmichael's sitting in the garden and the nudists are playing tennis, <laughs> something next door, and this ball comes over the head. And it's just so easy to upend those yeah. stiff characters. You know, you don't have to be bombastic. Oh, that's I'm Miss Forsdyke. Not a natural blonde, of course. Love. No. And then the joke is that the innocence is fake. That, that obviously people are just the same as they always will be and were. And yeah, that what's funny about Molesworth and St. Trinians is the kids are meant to be 11, 12, 13, but they know all about the world. And the language put into their mouths, obviously, because Geoffrey Willans was a school teacher of a school, he'd seen them. They've all got wisdom beyond their years. They're all smoking. The St. Trinians girls are all drinking gin out of the school taps and things. Well, Molesworth is cornered at the beginning of the term by Grimes, the headmaster. And what, say Grimes, have we all been reading in the holes? Tremble, tremble, moan, drone. I have read nothing but read the Redskin and Guide to the Pools. And all he's been doing is betting on the football pools in the holidays. And it's just, they've got the morals of George Cole. Mm. And they've got the morals of a sort of 40-year-old jaded yeah, newspaper hack. No, that would be question now. Now, yeah. now a publisher would go, no, sorry, you're reading demographic. I can imagine them going, yeah, you can't have a reference to the pools in a nine-year-old's book because gambling is illegal. It'd be seen as encouraging. Yeah. There's definitely an element of that nowadays, isn't there? Yeah, I think, yes, yeah, there's imitative behaviour. But the joke here, I suppose, is that these books are for both audiences. Yeah. I think the first book was published and it was called Down With School, A Guide to the School System for Pupils and Teachers and Parents. And it was, my dad used to read these to me at bedtime. Uh-huh. And he was laughing at jokes about sort of cultural things I didn't know and references to the pools and things. But there was a glimpse of an adult world through the children's eyes that kids are more grown up than their parents think they are all the time. Oh, yeah. Because school is rougher than home. Yeah. Always. And yeah. kids are always 
say claiming they've seen films you they haven't really seen. <laughs> you you sort of yeah, you're always a bit older than your years, isn't it? Yeah, that's fourteen true. year olds always reading just seventeen. Oh, that's right. Yeah, when I was reading just seventeen when I was fourteen, I was going, "What are you going to read when you're seventeen? Then just twenty one." Exactly, it's the rules. Eighteen, <laughs> 18 certificate films are for sixteen year olds. We know that. Um, but it's that feeling of the kids are, are adults in in little bodies. And that cynicism is put against that thing of the, Molesworth's always doing it, the, the bright future of the young Elizabethans. And in fact, Molesworth was published in a magazine called The Young Elizabethan. That's right. It was, it was originally a set of diaries in Punch in the 30s before the war. But the first book was columns that Willens and Searle had done for The Young Elizabethan, which was a kid's comic, edited by Kay Webb. And Kay Webb was Ronald Searle's wife. And I found this out this morning, the woman who founded the Puffing Club, the way that children got little paperback books into their hands in our generation. Oh, I love it. So a wonderful woman who, yeah, she ran a magazine that had malt within it. Mm-hmm. And they compiled them together and it was done as a Christmas bestseller. Uh, it was the idea, I think, Searle was fed up with St. Trinian's, had published one last St. Trinian's book against his will. And they said, what do you want to do? Oh, we want you to do another one. And he went, oh, can I do anything else? I look on it that I was a cook who was able, was fairly competent in the kitchen and could perhaps achieve one or two marvellous sauces. One might even go into the classic cookery book. But on the side, I produced a jam tart, which everyone adored. This was the most popular jam tart that the English public had ever eaten. I had enough of this jam tart about 1952, and uh, I thought, marvellous, this is at its height. I'll destroy it all, and uh, it will disappear from my life. And then Willens came to him and said, I've got an idea for some school books. And so I went, really, can I do anything else? I said, no, it's different. He read the prose and went, oh, this is different from St. Trinian's. It's a very different joke. And it was a huge Christmas bestseller. But these are your classic, the comedy book you get at Christmas that everyone hands round, like so the Viz who, Annual. So who wrote the St. Trinian's books then? Well, no, St. Trinian's are just cartoons. They're just cartoons. Oh, so he was just doing those in a magazine. They weren't actually books. No, they were just so you'd get compilations of them as, as books. But St. Trinian's is purely Searle's brain oh, making okay. these collections of drawings. So that exists purely as drawing. And the difference with Molesworth is you get the surrounding material, the writing. Which I do want oh, to Oh, no wonder the films don't feel like they stand up to it then. Because no. they were meant to be drawings and they were, they did it, he did it so perfectly. So yeah, perfectly. actually, by the time you get past the title sequence, you've had what St. Trinian's is, yeah. which is loads of Ronald Searle drawings for little the, girls. Yeah, I'd, quite <laughs> like, I'd like to enjoy the St. Trinian's films again, but really there's only scenes in it that are fun. Yeah. Like when uh, George Cole comes out of the bushes with this lovely theme tune. That's really good, I'm just going to put that in underneath. We'll put, <laughs> put a bed of the Flash Harry theme in there. See, we're now saying we really like the films. But yeah, there's great cast. They, there is something about these that is specifically to do with drawing. People always sort of say when something is a drawing or a comic or a game, they go, oh, I can't wait to turn it into a film. And you go, what if it's perfect in the medium it's in? They are meant to be drawings. And I think the thing that makes Molesworth sensational is it's one of those absolute marriages of two people in exactly the same key. The writing looks like his pen style. It's scribbly. It's messy. All the misspellings yeah, are oh, so God, that, is, that is joyous. The misspellings are just a joy, aren't they? My great friend, Pizan, who have a face like a squished tomato. Um, <laughs> school dog. The letters, the letters. Oh, letters home. home. Oh, oh my God. God. It's so beautiful. Can you read some letters home? I'll read the letters home. Thank you. St. Custard's Sunday, spelt with an A and no Y. Sunday. Perfect. <laughs> Sunday. <laughs> Dearest mummy, brackets on daddy. 
We played against Porridge Court on Saturday. We lost 9-0. The film was a Western. Will you send me a bacterial gun? They had six and six at Grabbers. I love from Nigel. You're going to read one. It's only fair. There we go. (laughs) St. Custard's Sunday. Dear Mummy and Daddy, we played against Howler House on Saturday. We lost 9-0. The film was Mickey Mouse. Thank you for the bacterial gun. Will you send me a jet-propelled airship 17 and 6? Love from Nigel. <laughs> St. Custer's, Sunder, Mummy, A. V. Poopwell Hall, lost 6-0. B. Tarzan of the Apes, C. Self-propelling car, £125. Feels <laughs> Nigel. <laughs> I put it point. <laughs> By the end of the term, it's just A, B, C. And it's also... God, they knew children so well. The kids are cynical. It's so funny. That's what, They're not innocent. <laughs> it's um, true. They are like 45-year-old men who are sick of working in the bank, aren't yeah. they? <laughs> There's a lovely simplicity to it in that most people have been at school or at a school. Even if it's not this Or in an institute. If they've been homeschooled, they might still have gone to church, youth club. You've been in a place where there's dynamics. If you're not looking out for it, because people understand the social dynamics, the tribe of a school, and you can use it as easily as you can do a family for any sitcom. Make it a bit like a school. So there's something about all those military sitcoms that are a bit like a school, that mash is a bit like a school. There's there's bullies and there's head teachers and things. Community is one of my favourite sitcoms because they say, how can we get adults to be at school? Oh, it's a community college. So they're exactly like they're in school. And you look at the thick of it. Look at slow horses where the spies are like they're the remedial class at a school. As long as you put it over the top of a school structure, people can read it and understand the rivalries and the shape of it. So again, the reason you can read these at any age is you remember really vividly that dynamic, how um, stressful and important everything was. It's such an easy world to drop it into and then to do it in this language and do it with this scrappy drawing style. And as I said, the misspellings are the exact equivalent of the blots and spurts of the, of the mm. pen. Because the language is broken and fractured like a kid writing a diary and misspelling it, it doesn't go straight into your brain. It has to go past a decoding process, which is like reading a foreign language or reading gibberish, the fun of Jabberwocky, or the language that's used on the internet for the way that cats talk. I can have cheeseburger. People still talk that way. That kind of fractured, it's in Crazy Cat, the George Harriman cartoon. It was Victorians used to do it. A broken language all of your own that you have to sort of decode to get to the jokes. It means you're working 5% harder to get to the joke. So when you get the joke and work out what he's saying, you laugh harder because you made some of the joke yourself. Mm. And if it was just written in normal English, I think that it wouldn't be as funny at all. I remember first discovering Molesworth when I was about seven or eight, and one of my school teachers telling me I shouldn't read it because my spelling was bad enough already. Yeah. I love the description of the school concert and the piano sound. This one go plunk. Back in the Joker game, the one you suggested having a look at, which is the last one of the four Molesworth books, published posthumously. It's the scraps that Willens was working on before he died of a heart attack, age 47. Very, very young. It's very sad. This is what he was working on. So basically, it's a bit, I mean, it's always scrappy, but some of the best Molesworth is in there. And that's got a guide to the school piano. It's a lovely drawing of Molesworth at the school piano. He says, before getting onto Rimsky Korsakov, you should know what you're up against. And then he does a, a tour of the school piano, which is absolutely beautiful. Here is the guide. C. This one go plunk. <laughs> D. The top have come off the note and you strike melody from something like a cheese finger. <laughs> e. Sticks down when you hit it, bring a screwdriver to lever it up. <laughs> F. Having never been the same since Molesworth. 2. Put his chewing gum under it. G. Nothing happened when you hit this note at all. Do not be discouraged, however. Show grit, courage, determination, concentrate. Attend. Attend. 
and soon you will get yourself a piece. This will probably be called Happy Thoughts. There's a strong warning at the beginning which say, not too fast. Who do they think I am, eh? Sterling Moss. <laughs> Oh, it's beautiful. It's very Hancock, actually, isn't it, as well? Yeah, that, it's world-weary. And, yeah, all this stuff must be coming from the same world. It's got bed sits and it's got bad heating and it's got shit carpets. It's funny, isn't it, how this stuff's universal? And we didn't need to go to, you know, a boarding school to get this. And I didn't need to be a boy to get this. Yeah. In the same way, like, I loved rising damp when I was eight. I didn't need to be an old 45-year-old landlord <laughs> to appreciate how good it was, yeah. Time to drop in an illustration, I think. This is historian Max Hastings talking about the historical context of Molesworth. We were just on the edge of the collapse of empire. There was a terrific bitterness about Britain in the early 50s, especially among our parents' generation, because on the one hand, they felt they'd won the war and they deserved to live in a country that was a great success story. But on the other hand, we were completely broke as a country. Rationing was still on. Sweets were rationed. Meat was rationed. And there was this feeling everything was being taken away from us. And all this, seems to me, pervades the Willans and Searle books. Back in the Jug Again features one of my favourite pieces of Molesworth character writing, which isn't in St Custard's. It's extracurricular, and it's a section called Through Horridges with Gran, which is where Nigel has to go to Horridges Department Store with Gran. (laughs) And it's just (laughs) the first line. I have been dealing here for 30 years, say Grant to the assistant at Horridge Stores. Send for Mr Beckwith at once. And it builds up and builds up to a huge capitalised section. Mr Beckwith, why are there no Sopwith sausages for my dear grandson? And that's all in capital. And of course, sausages is spelled S-O-S-S-A-G-E-S. You made that look like Black Adder then, reading that out. Mr Beckwith, why are there no Sopwith sausages for my son? <laughs> Joy in your eyes. That we, uh... Yeah, but I, I, I threw Horridges with Gran, which is a beautiful depiction of the entitlement of the pre-war Edwardian formidable Gran. It's full of these things. They are cartoons. I've never seen Gran before. Gran has never been in Molesworth. She's only in that little bit. And she is and going... And she's full on there. And yeah. you suddenly know everything about her. There's these beautiful character sketches. It is just drawings, but drawings with words. Yeah. I remember someone saying to me once, what would be your Desert Island book? And I think it's the complete Molesworth. I think I'd get so much out of it. And because you can just dip into it, I don't want to read the same story again and again and again. I want a little chocolate box, I think. I get more use out of that. It's like the Bible. It's got loads of little stories in it. <laughs> I think secretly, I think it might be my favourite book. Well, it's definitely got lots of little worlds in it, hasn't it? Like even just the snapshot of the football field and the... Yeah, you, yeah you'd fill in everything around it, wouldn't you? It's a piece of world building and it's, it's storytelling, but like at the level of character. It's just character work rather than a plot. What are we looking at now? Headmaster's study of the layout of runaway runways. <laughs> it's how to get out of the room. And, that, I mean, and when you were a kid, you just love imagining, don't you? Oh. Him running there and spiralling and then shooting up the grandfather clock. Don't you love is. a diagram as a God, kid? It's incredible. I love guidebooks and diagrams and exploded things, how things work. Because it's a guidebook. It's kind of a, it's a spoof guidebook. So it's all little bits. It is. It's incredible. It's like a little bit. And then these, these little playlets. Yeah. A little setting the scene and then a bit of dialogue and now a little, yeah. It, it contains everything. It's not... Guy at Spinal Tap. Yeah. <laughs> I definitely copied him. It's fantastic. One more illustration, I think. This is cartoonist Posey Simmons on the rich character work of Ronald Searle. The school dog in How to Be Taught is, is one of my favourite characters. 
And he also seems to live in the matron's room. And the matron I was very fond of too, because she's one of the few female characters in How to Be Top. And she's a great drinker of stout and smoker of many fags. And she's got long combinations hanging up. And a Lloyd Loom chair and lipstick. I mean, she looks horrendous. When I was a kid, any really detailed drawing became a thing you just stare at for ages in the way that hippies used to look at album covers. Uh, <laughs> and they weren't, they weren't, I suppose they weren't screens and distractions and things, but I would stare at a picture I liked for ages and ages looking at the little details in it and the detail in these, the, what's going on, the busyness of it. I think um, when there's a world you want to be in, you want to study what you've got. And, if that, and all you've got is some black and white drawings and you can kind of pour over those, can't you, and absorb those. At the moment, my son's really into Lord of the Rings. He's 11. I mean, he's got a couple of those sketchbooks by Alan Lee, which he's really been studying. It's really lovely that that can still happen, you know, because you think, don't you, with all fast-moving, flashing yeah. things, that that might be a little bit dry, some pencil drawings. They're, but they do the same thing. They take you into a world that doesn't you can't find anymore. I mean, you can see little... No, you do see glimmers of Ronald Searle. Every time I see a crack in a wall or a drain pipe hanging off or a little, yeah. min, you know, like on the top of a roof with like spiky black points, yes. it's, it's Ronald Searle. And I often say, look at that Ronald Searle building. Do I you do, do that as well? Clapham Junction. If you pull in at Clapham Junction, there's a load of... Uh, that classic, was it 1910 to 1920, the great era of school buildings. Mm. The roof of any school has got yeah. that sort of stuff. And it looks like, looks like pen and ink. Yeah. And Raw the lovely windows with the little shapes like fantail lights above a door. and it's the tops of Railings. Yeah, but you can, you know, when you go on a walk, you can train your eyes sometimes to spot yeah. stuff. I sometimes train my eyes to spot architectural details that are on yeah. sale because it's just, the, it's like world. seeing a bit of the past, like a little ghost. I remember Josie Long once said about seeing old paintings on the side of buildings advertising and the ghost of the paint coming through. It's like, you know, a yeah. ghost is coming through from another time. And we do still, that's what I love about in this country, we all think we're so fast and modern with our technology. And then you see those kind of rusty little shapes still. It's all still there. Yeah. It's all peeping out. Like when you need to remove a cupboard in your kitchen and you've got the old tiles yeah. behind it and stuff like that. I love that it's still there. You're Mold seeing wasn't. what they saw, aren't you? Yes. When I'm looking unchanged. at those little pokey bits of metal, I'm seeing what Ronald Searle noticed. I think both of them were brilliant observers, weren't they? Yeah. And I read a lovely thing in Joyce Grenville's book, one of her books about growing up. She said her dad once said to her, what colours can you see in this wall, this brick wall? And she said red. And he said, but look, there's a green brick and there's a yellow brick and brown, there's a grey. And, and he made her see all the colours and she never forgot that. Wow. And then she made it her life, didn't she, to go and observe and kind of, you know. Yeah. And, and yeah, you're never bored if you can kind of tune into that thing of, you know, really noticing what's happening around and what those things are. And uh, they do that really well. They clearly did that really well. Because Jeffrey Willen's little letters where they become bullet points, they're so yeah. rich. They say so much. Like yeah. he's saying, I love you, mum. I'm really busy. <laughs> These <laughs> things are going to make me feel better. It's like, it's just three sentences and it does so much. I'd never read that into it. Also the feeling that maybe things are okay at the school now because you've got friends and things. I'm too busy to. That's true. That's I'm another thing. He's saying, I don't need you. I need your money. Yeah, which is another that, heartbreaking thing we were talking about. I don't think we talked about it on the No, we were talking about it before saying one of the things that happens with kids, especially these are kids who've been sent away by their parents. And the thing that the parents don't want to hear is I can cope on my own because then you're being abandoned. And it's heartbreaking. And yet that's what you want. Yeah. It's all in those letters. Yeah, You're right. This is about observation. It's about observation because they're drawings and they're observed drawings and they're tiny sketches. The only thing that's keeping you reading Molesworth or looking at Centrillians is the level of observation. Yeah. That's all. There's no story, there's no plot, there's no mystery. You're not trying to find out who killed someone or whatever. Yeah, so when, he, when he's looking at a school building, he's seeing the drain pipes and the tiles that are coming off. Yeah. Whereas, you know, I might only notice the sign above the door saying boys, girls, yeah. you know, those old schools. 
Yeah, no, it's, uh, it's encouraging your eye, to draw look. your eyes. Don't they? Things you might not have uh, maybe paid attention to, and that's joyful because the things they're showing you are universal and they're still still around a little bit. It starts with the camera club, and it's always the camera club. It starts with you looking very closely at something really familiar, buildings, school, humans, teachers, things you think you know, and it says, I will show you these at an angle you haven't seen them. And that is what all good observers do, what all good writers and artists do, and what comedians do. Look at the familiar from a different angle, from a slightly awry look at the week's news. <laughs> a little sideways look here. I think this is literally the definitive sideways look. But it's that. It's training you to be an observer. And you pick these up as a kid and go, oh. Actually, and very often, you don't know if you're in a little country, your school might look like this, mm-hmm. won't be like this. If you're in a little country school, it's probably still got all those iron railings on and boys and girls above the door and things. Oh, yeah. Lots of schools still look like that, even in modern primary schools. It makes you look at your world differently and go, oh, that's where I am. And there's so much colour and detail, isn't it? I wonder why maybe I'm a bit intolerant of stand-up comedians who say these huge, have you ever noticed, ladies and gentlemen? You No, I haven't noticed that, actually, <laughs> uh, because it's so broad yeah. and so uninteresting. I've been staring at a minaret. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> I can't do certain observational comedy because yeah. it's, it's just too... I've, I've been looking too close. I was trained by Ronald Sartre to look too close. It's very, very non-generic, and mm-hmm. yet because of its specificity, incredibly rich and appealing. Yeah. And it's, yeah, it's about observing at enormous detail. I hadn't thought about that. I hadn't thought about it either. It's been a pleasure having a look at these. It's an observer's book. (laughs) I spy. It's the best sort of book they could be for kids. Uh, Brilliant. Thank you so much for bringing Ronald Searle and Molesworth. Thank you for letting me talk about them with you. It's been a pleasure. Comfort Blanket was presented and produced by Joel Morris for the Cheese and Pickle family of podcasts. Find us on social media and don't forget to like and subscribe.